Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Today's topic, my friends, is going to be that of work. How do I see work? What importance do I put towards work? And if you've ever been to my seminar, my two-day seminar, you know I have a rant, a big old rant about getting up every day and going to work and fighting the traffic and sitting in your cubicle all day long and doing your job and coming back home, fighting the traffic on the way back home, getting home after you worked a hard day's work. And then all of a sudden you have all the other problems. You have the household problems and and you have the kids screaming and the wife upset and wanting you to do things and or vice versa. In this day and age, you should be able to say the spouse and the wife comes home from hard day's work. It's it's irrelevant. The, the concept is maybe one or both of you are coming home from a hard day's work. And now you've got to take care of the household and the kids. And then, of course, the pets. And life is just tough. It's over and over monotonous hard work. And my argument is not that work itself, in and of itself, is a bad thing. In fact, I'm going to prove to you today that my feelings are exactly opposite. I think work is a good thing. What I don't like is the fact that most people have succumbed to the belief that they're going to work for 40 or 50 years in a mindless, repetitious, dogged job under the concept that when they become 65 or 70 years old, they are going to miraculously, out of nowhere, out of thin air, retire and be happy and have an easy life. Of which I don't believe any of that is true. I think people that work doggedly, in most cases, have not figured out how to put together enough money to retire. Now, why do I state that? Because for the last 30 years, I've been teaching people how to retire. When I first started, I claimed that you could do it between five and seven years. And now people are coming on the radio every day and telling you, no, I did it in two years. I did it in three years. And so now we say it's between two and seven years. But the bottom line is, if you've worked at your job for more than seven years and you haven't and don't have the position and ability to retire your job and live at the same level of income, then you are doing the wrong stuff. You just don't know how to retire. And if you don't know how to retire, it doesn't matter whether you work 1, 5, 10, 15, 30 years, you're never going to be able to retire because you're doing the wrong stuff. And so what happens is your plan never works. Somebody sent this to me, and they said it reminded them of my spiel about the workday and the cubicle and the whole bit about getting up and going to work at the cubicle. And what it is, it's a song. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'm just going to read you the lyrics. Let's see. It's called Parody on Your Beautiful by James Blunt. And uh, here are the lyrics for it. It says, my job 
is stupid. My day is a bore inside this office from eight to four. Nothing ever happens. My life is pretty bland. Pretending that I'm working, praying I don't get canned. My cubicle, my cubicle, it's one of 62. It's my small space in a crowded place, just a six-by-six-foot booth, and I hate it. That's the truth. Well, I give a sigh as the boss walks by. No one ever talks to me or looks me in the eye, and I really should work, but instead I just sit here and surf the Internet. My cubicle, my cubicle, it doesn't have a view. It's my small space in a crowded place. I sit in solitude, and sometimes I sit here nude. So what does this mean? Well, first of all, you need to get the metaphor that a cubicle isn't just those little work cubicles. A work cubicle is any place where you have to go and be in a confined area for any period of time. So let's say when I was younger, I worked in a deli, and one job I had was slicing meat. So I would pile up, you know, 10 different kinds of meat, slice it all up, put it in trays, put it in the refrigerator. Then somebody else would pull that meat out and put it at the beginning of a conveyor belt. And that person then would slap a couple pieces of meat on those bread and send the bread down the conveyor belt. The next person would slap some cheese on there and let it go down the conveyor belt. The next person would pull out a mayonnaise knife and put some mayonnaise on it and and flip the bread on it. The next guy would grab the sandwich and throw it into a wrapping machine and wrap it and then put it in a crate. Another person would carry the crate away. Each of those people were working within a five by five cubicle. Even though there were no walls to that cubicle, they were working in a five by five cubicle. When you look at the COVID situation and you see radio and TV announcers and they show you them, they're in plastic cubicles now because you can't breathe on each other. Another kind of cubicle. If you drive a truck all day long, I've driven trucks, you're stuck inside of a cubicle all day long. It almost doesn't matter. You know, you mow grass, you're on a lawnmower. That's your five by five cubicle. And so this is a metaphor, guys. It's a metaphor for being in the same place all day long every day for the rest of your life. And it's boring, just like this thing says. It's boring. And not only that, there's no communication. There's nothing that makes life exciting. And you know you have to do it day after day after day for the rest of your life. And when it says, okay, sometimes I sit here nude, nude is another metaphor. It's a metaphor for totally splayed out for the world to see how useless you are. And so, Dell, are you saying that work is useless? No. What I'm saying is, is the way they work you is rendering you useless because you're not using your brain. You see, clerks are jerks. Go to the post office and see how unhappy public employees are. They sit behind a plastic glass and they get arrogant and mean and cocky because they hate their job. They hate that they have to sit there all day long every day and do that cubicle work. Even the people that work in the back, moving the letters around, same thing. Mailman gets in his truck. That's his five by five cubicle as he drives around and delivers mail. That's the metaphor for all this. So what I'm saying to you is if you decide that you're willing to live that metaphor for the rest of your life and not take the steps to figure out how to get free from it, When I first started Lifestyles, I called the program How to Buy Your Life Back from Corporate America. In corporate America, it was any job, whether it was the government, whether it was just even working for mom and pop, whatever it is, even sometimes working for yourself. Even self-employed people are working within a cubicle and are unhappy. So it was a metaphor. Lifestyles is a metaphor for 
financial freedom. What does financial freedom mean? It means you replace your earned income, cubicle income, with passive income. Now, passive is a relative term. When I first started buying rent houses, I thought it was fun to do the work. I don't do it now. I don't even touch my apartments or my businesses at all. But when I first started, it was fun because it got me out of the cubicle of the health club. I worked in the health club and did the same thing every day. I'd show up and do my thing every day, 12 hours a day, six days a week. So to go to a rent house and make decisions, you know, I think I'm going to change the color. You know, I think I'm going to upgrade this thing so I can get a little more rent. And I think I'll fix that over there first and do that next. And all of a sudden there were choices. And then I was renting and there was people to talk to. Conversations were different every time and interesting. I had broken out of the cubicle. I loved it. Now, later on, I figured I didn't even need to do that much work. But at that moment, it was so different and so exciting to get out of the cubicle lifestyle. But at the same time, I was building passive streams of income. And within just four houses, I had $880 worth of positive cash flow, passive income. And I thought to myself, man, $880, I only take home two or $3,000 a month at my job. If I buy just a few more of these, I will have replaced my income. And I did two and a half years after I started. I was able to replace all of my earned income and be able to quit my job and still live as well, actually better than I did when I worked 12 hours a day. Because what you don't realize is when you work 12 hours a day, you spend travel time and that also involvement, you miss out on things. The quality of your life is terrible and you miss out on things. In fact, massive opportunities to do something that might be done for cheap. In fact, I found that if you don't have a job, you can fly for $100 somewhere, but you have to be willing to go on the day you need to go at the time you need to do it. And you can't be time constrained. When I worked in corporate America, they let us have one vacation week twice a year, but they told you when that could be. You had to lock it down and you had to go during those days, those hours. It was constrained. It was usually on a holiday when they thought they weren't going to sell anything anyway. They weren't going to be busy. So here you are in holiday traffic. Do you know how much cheaper it is to travel off Holiday, you know, how much easier it is to get around off holiday than to do stuff on the holidays? It's completely different. And so, again, all of this is metaphorical for the struggle of the working man. And the struggle is not work. Work is not the problem. You can go in there and you get excited about work. In fact, just as soon as I had replaced my income and I didn't need my job anymore, and there wasn't the boss walking around giving me the evil I tone that you're lucky to have this job and blah, 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 and people giving me garbage and me feeling bad about it. Once that was all gone, work was actually fun. Take another short break and come back and talk about this more. Now, from the files of Del Wamsley. You can have anything you want in life, but you can't have everything you want in life. Meaning, if you wanted to be the best at something, you would have to give up your whole life to be the best at it. I remember a person telling me a story about a concert pianist who had just played the most unbelievable score ever at this um, open piano concert, right? And uh, somebody came down to him and said, man, I would give my whole life to be able to play like that. And the concert pianist looked at him, just sort of grimaced and said, I did. And that's the difference, my friends. What were you willing to give your life for? That's the difference. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsley Radio Show.
created these case studies 30 years ago for this reason. You're the accountant. You're the CPA. You're the, the engineer, the IT guy. Do you follow what I'm saying? You're that little quiet cubicle guy. And you don't see yourself as a rich millionaire. So I have to bring the cubicle people up here. And you go, honey, look, he's got the same shoes I have on. Right? And he speaks in the same language that I speak in. And you've got to be able to see somebody you can relate to or relate with for this to work. Part of the reason I want you to speak to other people is because half of your, I'd say, challenge is that you don't believe you can be rich, is that you don't believe you can retire within five years. Until you can reconcile that in your mind, you won't be willing to take the steps necessary to get there. Join us today. Check for in-person and online dates at lukstudy.com. Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we're discussing jobs, and as with most things in life, there's all kinds of nuances. We discussed uh, some of the negative aspects of jobs. Now, let's talk about some of the positive ones. I had a person send me an email, I think it was yesterday, which they were insinuating that what the email was about was low expectations in life. And that's probably true. I don't think that statement is far, far off. But it's not the only thing to get from this story. And I'm going to read you some of this. It's Michigan man gets Costco job after daughter tweet goes viral. A man in Michigan landed his dream job last week with a little help from the Internet. Jeff Mix from Michigan began started working at his local Costco after his daughter, young adult author Rebecca, tweeted about his desire to work at the wholesale retailer last month. My dad has been laid off due to COVID, and now he's vaccinated and he's itching to go back to work. So I told him I'd help him with his resume. Rebecca tweeted in early May. I asked him where he wanted to work, and he said so earnestly, Costco seems like a nice place. So the person goes on and says, I don't know if I should laugh or I should cry. Costco seems like a nice place to work. What do you take from that? The person that sent this email to me said, look, this is a perfect example of low expectations. And I get that point that people should want more out of life than to work at Costco. But the truth of the matter is you could work at Costco and retire in two to five years. And it's no different. People think that what you need to do is to climb the ladder of success at all costs, and that only by climbing the ladder in your company or at your desired whatever it is profession is the only success there really is. And they derive their ego and self-worth from that, and they derive the funds that they survive from that. And so it, it's a healthy addiction, put it that way, to one extreme. It's an unhealthy addiction to the other extreme. But in this case, the way I read this article is that, wow, here's a gentleman that wanted to go back to work, to not be a burden on society, no matter what he got paid. And then there should be millions of these people in this country that say, look, just give me a job. Let me do something to provide for my family. Let me do something to create just normal human dignity of a job. And so when you look at this, you go, jobs have a lot more to do than just making money. They have to do with who you are. Unemployed is a 
enigma. No, it's not, it's not the right word for it, but it's a way of looking at yourself. It's a way of other people looking at you. It's a definition. Who are you? I'm a fireman. Who are you? I'm unemployed. It defines you. Now, really self-help motivational people will tell you nothing defines you. Your job doesn't define you. Your unemployment doesn't define you. And I can see the positive psychological motivation for believing that. But whether you believe that or you don't, the bottom line is, is that a job is the first step to financial freedom. Why? Because you can't save money to have money to invest unless you start with a job. You can't have something for nothing. And I don't know how many people have come to me over 30 years ago, Dell. I don't want to go to work anymore. I just want to stop. I go, great. Do you have any money? No. How's your credit? Bad. Well, why is your credit bad? And why do you have no money if you've had a job? Well, because I want more than I can afford to pay. And so I buy stuff on credit that I don't pay it back. I spend every penny I make because I'm living above my means. Now, they won't tell you that. That's just facts behind where they're at. And so the bottom line comes down to the job is the first step to financial freedom. And in this particular case, this particular gentleman to me, I think is a hero. I wish after COVID, now there's all this unemployment, nobody will go back to work because they're making more unemployment. Again, that's a political thing, but it's a dumb political thing. And again, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, but I can think. And if you pay people more to not work than they're getting paid to work, they're not going to work. Any idiot could see that. So Democrats, wake up, come out of your coma, and stop overpaying people to not work. Work is the first step towards financial freedom. Let's move on. Next point, guy writes an article about job security. And what they're talking about here is that a lot of people look at life like it's stagnant. What I learned out of college is the last thing I ever learned. And this guy's telling the story from the format that his dad, when he worked in corporate America, he worked for a steel mill, found that they had a waste product problem. And so he went and he hired a young kid, half his age, that had come out of some kind of school on how to improve operations. And the kid came in and showed them how to reduce their waste. The gentleman who's writing the article's point was, I looked at my dad at that point as a lifelong learner. And we talk about this all the time. J.B. Durham's favorite statement is being a lifelong learner, meaning that for the rest of your life, you've got to continue to grow as a human being. And in this article, the point is, or life will pass you by. Everything I knew about real estate 30 years ago which was about one hundredth of what I know about real estate now, was enough to make me a millionaire. What I knew 30 years ago couldn't even get you in the door right now. You couldn't even get started with what I knew back then. You have to grow, especially if you want to grow your income and your net worth, because your circle of influence dictates your financial situation. And your circle of influence is governed by your information and education. And so if you're not growing informationally, then you're not going to grow financially. And so this guy goes on and makes this point that, and I'm going to read this to you because I think it's interesting. He says, if you have any doubts that learning mindset is necessary to stay competitive, a quick fact check should clear this up. According to Career Addict 2021 research, here are five jobs 
that won't exist in 10 years. Think of this. They won't be here. Remember, people used to make a lot of money putting on horseshoes and creating saddles back when people rode horses. The second the automobile came out and became big, those people all went broke. No matter, even if you were the best saddle maker and the best ironsmith in town doing horseshoes, there's no more business. The world passed you by. You have to change. Here's, by the way, the five things that won't be here. Travel agents are all going to go online. Cashiers will all become mechanical. Fast food cooks will all become mechanical. Mail carriers won't exist anymore. Mail might not even exist. And bank tellers. So I already see it. You go to the bank, there's nobody there. They don't need you anymore. You can do all your business pretty much through a computer. There either you do it locally or they have people now that scan stuff. But the point is, within 10 years, these jobs won't exist. It says, additionally, Forbes magazine reminds us that these jobs didn't exist 10 years ago. Social media online manager, elder care service coordinators, sustainability manager, education administration consultant, search engine optimization specialist, medical billing coder, and user experience manager. I don't even know who some of those are, but they weren't here 10 years ago. So the bottom line is, if you can't continue to learn and grow into the future, you're going to be left behind. So if your work is at that risk, so are your finances, so are your investments, so are your relationships, et cetera, et cetera. So if work is your way to get ahead in the world, and I only look at it as a starting point, a stepping stone towards financial freedom. If that is where you got to start, then you better stay on top of what's going on as far as jobs. Where are you going to work? An interesting article was sent to me today or yesterday. It says two guys met each other and they were talking about how, wow, I really wish I would have met you earlier. You seem like a nice person. I like your family. The guy said, but I'm going to be leaving town and I'm moving out of Manhattan. And the guy goes, really? He goes, yeah. Why are you moving? You said, well, I work for a hedge fund, and during COVID, they found out that we could work just as well from home. So they've allowed us to move where we want to move. And he said, well, why would you move out of you know Manhattan? I mean, this is the mecca of the world. And he goes, Phew, I'll tell you why. I'm moving to Nashville. And he said, well, why are you moving? He said, because there's no state income tax. Then he grinned. Meanwhile, New Jersey, where he'd been living, not only has its own state income tax, it has an additional millionaire's tax on and off for the past decade. And its property taxes are over $9,000 on average. And believe it or not, the situation in states like New Jersey could keep getting worse, even while places like Tennessee keeps booming. Why? Because pension liabilities, ALEC, ALEC, 2020 report on the states was just released today. Tennessee has the lowest unfunded pension liabilities per capita in the country at just $6,300 per head, where New Jersey is the 55th highest with over $28,000 per person uh, per resident. Think of it this way. States have to pay their pensions from somewhere, from business taxes, personal income taxes, property taxes, or random fees on everything else. So here's the point, guys. It's a new way of looking at where you want to live. And I don't know the facts. I don't. I didn't get that report. I just saw this email somebody sent to me, and it made me start thinking. I've always thought it was that people were moving to the Republican states because there was no income taxes for number one, two, there's less regulations, and three, it was just a better, cleaner place to live. But now you start looking at it and go, the real problem 
is that these big, giant Democratic cities are going broke. They have so many unfunded liabilities that they have to tax. In other words, even if they wanted to keep people from leaving New York, New Jersey, and Northeast, they can't. Because the more people who leave, the fewer people there are to spread the tax burden out to cover the stuff they've already spent. These states have no hope except federal government bailouts. And that's what Trump took away. There used to be the SALT tax. The SALT tax said that you could take your state tax and or any other city tax, and you could write that off against your federal income taxes, basically saying that the federal government is going to take care of all of you guys that overspend at the local and state level. And Trump had that dissolved. Now, the Dems have got to get that back in, or all of these Democratic cities are going to go broke, and Democratic states are going to go broke. The point is, where do you want to live? One of the things you want to add to your search criteria now is the unfunded liabilities of that state, county, city, whatever it is you're going to live in, because those unfunded liabilities are going to take you down. I own an apartment complex in Harris County, and uh, we just got a report that Harris County is going to double our water bill over the next couple of years. And the concept is, how can they do that? And the real concept is, is how can they not do that? The reality is, is that they are broke. They don't have enough money to provide the services because they've been spending money on other things that have nothing to do with basic services, unfunded liabilities. Their police pensions, their fire pensions are over the top. And so I moved out of Harris County. I'm not going to live there. I own a property there. I'm stuck having the property there. I mean, I could sell it and buy somewhere else, but the bottom line is it's a good property. But the reality is I would never live there ever again because these Democratic strongholds are broke. And that forces them to tax the living snot out of you. That's all they can do. And so it's a new way of looking at things in your search for work and where you're going to live. I've got two more emails I want to share with you today. Squeeze them in real quick. They're quickies. One says, I currently do not own real estate property. Should I buy my primary home before my investment home? Absolutely not. When you buy an investment property, it doesn't hurt your debt to income ratio. If you have rental income of 125% of what the mortgage payment is, it wipes it out. So you still qualify to buy a house. But if you go buy a house and all that debt is dropped on top of your income, you may not qualify to be able to buy a rental house. So I suggest buy as many rental properties as you can before you buy your personal residence. And eventually what happens is you have enough income coming in that it's not going to matter either way, which I had a person contact me the other day and say, I can't get a loan because I I don't work, but I own all this real estate and all this depreciation is covering all my income. So it looks like I make no money. I have actually losses on my tax return. Hey, I do too. And I still get loans. Your problem is that you've got the wrong lenders. You've got to go get the right lenders that understand real estate. You can't just go to any old mom and pop or your brother, your cousin, or your bank. They don't understand real estate, and they'll never let it work. Last article. See if I can squeeze it in. It says, while my initial plan was to buy a small apartment community with funds that are currently available to me, then move on to a bigger property even two or three years from now. But the rapid rising costs in materials has me reconsidering my strategy, fearing that the higher rehab costs would bite into my profit I would have. Now I'm considering using the available capital to invest passively in a few deals and to ride out the wave of rising material costs. Is this a good idea? What should I do? Absolutely wrong idea. 
two reasons it's wrong. Number one, those passive deals you're getting into, they have the exact same cost structure that you would if you bought your own deal. And more importantly, reason number one is because if you don't buy now, you miss out on that massive capital gain that occurs with the inflation that's going on. And five years from now, you won't be able to buy because you will not have grown your wealth at the rate everybody else has. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, teaching you the opposite of everything you've been taught so you can obtain the results you've never obtained. Join us seven days a week. Can't get enough? Visit DellOnTheRadio.com to listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show, access past show podcasts, and join the conversation. The information and opinions you hear on the Dell Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Dell Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Dell Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Dell Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.